Welcome to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring you weekly sermons that uplift your soul, strengthen your spirit, and praise the Lord. Whatever your reason for listening, we're grateful for you spending your time with us. May God open your heart to love and your ears to hear. A reading from Isaiah chapter 60. Listen for the word of God. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from far away, and your daughter shall be carried on their nurse's arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. Now a reading of the gospel from Matthew chapter two. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at rising and have come to pay homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may go also and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out. And there, ahead of them, went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that star had stopped. They were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left 
for their own country by another road. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. You may be seated. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, friends, it's not only a new year, but it is a brand new decade. It's 2020, which is hard to believe. And like happens every new year, but especially now in this new decade, uh, it's a time for reflection. Last year brought, what joys have the last 10 years brought? What have we learned? What are challenges we've faced? What intentions, in light of all of this learning and reflection that we've done, are we setting for the next year or the next 10 years? Now, of course, out in the media, it's a time for retrospectives, which I love, what were the best movies of the last decade, the best tech innovations, for better or for worse. What did the economic landscape look like? What do we have to look forward to in all of these areas in the next decade? And of course, it's the time for New Year's resolutions, from that Peloton wife who is nervously encouraging us to join her on that bike, maybe against her will. Uh, But it preys on our desire to get healthier and to exercise more in the new year. Some folks are vowing to reduce their consumption of single-use plastics. Other folks vow to read more books, to spend less time on social media. Of course, the perennial New Year's resolution to eat a healthier diet. My resolution this year is to be a lot better at meal planning and cooking. I'm terrible at this. Now, I want to be good at it. I read a lot about it. Like at night after the kids go to bed, I'll read blogs and search, you know, what are the best easy vegetarian dinners for a family of four? I make a plan in my head, but then inevitably, we end up eating the same basic three meals every week with a smattering of frozen pizza and takeout thrown in for a good measure. We eat a lot more frozen pizza than the average family should. Neither Kyle nor I like or love to cook, um, which maybe we should have figured out before we got married. But um, we, we, have, we have lots of other complimentary gifts that we bring to the table, but that one turned out is not one of them. Uh, but in 2020, I'm vowing to do better. I actually did something about it. I downloaded an online meal plan for $12, four weeks of vegetarian meals. It gives you the grocery list for every week, tells you what to cook. And the good thing about it is it requires zero thinking on my part. I just do what it tells me, uh, which is what I need because I just don't have any more room to think about anything else. Um, and I'm happy to say that two nights in, we've done it. We've made it work. So I'm cautiously optimistic that this will be the year that I'll finally figure that all out. But the truth is, all of us know that most resolutions fail. I read this week, I don't know how they measure this, but someone says that um, 8% of New Year's resolutions actually stick. 8%. I have a feeling that my satisfaction about two new dinners cooked will probably quickly turn to more and more frozen pizza as February and March get here, but we'll see. Now, I imagine there are all kinds of reasons that New Year's resolutions fail, and I'm not a psychologist, 
But I do think that one of them is that the start of the new year is a fairly arbitrary distinction because we all know this, right? If we want to make changes, it's got to be because we make the decision that we are finally ready to make a change to do something differently, not some arbitrary change of the calendar and an advertising community uh, telling us that this is the time to finally make a difference. In the Christian year, the new year begins not on January 1, but it actually begins in the season of Advent, those four weeks leading up to Christmas that we've just journeyed through together. So in the church, we begin the new year in a season of preparation, of waiting, of expectation, with intention, examining where we've been, where we anticipate God calling us to go, and waiting for that new thing that God will certainly do in our lives. Then we celebrated Christmas together. It was magnificent to have my first Christmas Eve service here with all of you. We celebrated the birth of our Savior that exceeded anything we could have prepared for when God's very self is born into the world as a baby, ushering in peace and hope and joy and light. God truly for us and with us always. And now here we are. It's the Sunday that the church calls Epiphany, It's the Sunday where we focus on that guiding light of God, the star overhead that guides the wise men to the newborn king. We hear the story of the three wise men who travel from afar. They bring gifts to the baby Jesus. They follow that star to find him. While our wise men in Matthew's gospel are following that bright star in a night sky, a sky so large that it leads them very far from their home. Now we know the story. We sing We Three Kings every year. On Christmas Eve, we witnessed our pageant, um, and Ryan and Olin and Davis were the best wise men I've ever seen. Uh, They were all dressed up, and they brought the gifts forward to the baby Jesus. We tell confidently of that gold and that frankincense and that myrrh. Now, I don't want to burst any of our Christmas bubbles, but actually, nowhere in Matthew does it tell us that these people are kings, and no one does it, nowhere does it tell us that there are three of them. We assume um, throughout history that it's three because there are three gifts, but it actually doesn't tell us that. But what we do know about these travelers following a bright star in the night sky, we know that they're magi, they're wise people, they're not necessarily royalty, but probably some kind of foreign dignitaries that are coming to pay homage to this baby boy, this boy that is called the King of the Jews. We know that they came from the east. We're not sure exactly where from, but it would have been a distant, distant land. The east is where the sun rises, so a journey that is coming from a place of light, following a light to get there. So wherever they're from, and however many of them that there might have been, one of the things that's really significant about them is that they're not Jews, they are Gentiles. So far in the Christmas story, we had the adoration of the shepherds. They are Jews from Bethlehem, listening to that glorious news of the angels responding by walking the short mile it took in a nearby stable. They're worshiping their own Messiah, their own king. They had been waiting for the king of the Jews to be born. But these magi don't have that same tradition of waiting for a Messiah. They don't have an ancient scripture that they read for telling the reign of a wonderful counselor, a mighty king, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. They simply have a star, and they have a strong sense that they should follow it, bearing their finest gifts, 
paying homage to this little baby boy. We have before us the significant news that with Jesus, Gentiles, along with Jews, come to worship him at his birth. For to you is born in, this, in the city of David a Messiah, who is for all the people. That's what the angel says on Christmas, for all the people. So this birth now we know impacts not just Bethlehem, not just Jerusalem, but the whole world. Jesus's ministry encompasses a whole lot of sky. His reign of peace and justice, of love and light, of healing and new life, it's far more vast than the eye could see right there in Bethlehem. Well, this is when Herod, King Herod, he is a king, we know that, and don't you forget it, he gets really nervous. He's not so worried when some shepherds come down from a hillside to worship this new king, but when wise people travel from a long, long way away, they bring gifts, they're ready to worship this baby, Herod wakes up and he starts to pay attention. He gets threatened, and he gathers these wise men to him, and he says, tell me about this boy king that you are seeking, and when you find him, I want to know exactly where he is. Now, we know, though the Magi don't know yet, that Herod becomes so threatened that he will try to have Jesus killed. He's so desperate to hold on to his power, and he's going to do anything, anything to keep it. Now, the rest of the story of Herod and the three wise men is one that we don't put on in our annual Christmas pageant. The rest of the story is that Herod is so threatened that he orders that all male children under the age of two be killed. All of this just so he could eliminate Jesus and hold on to his own power. Well, the Magi learn in a dream not to reveal the location of Jesus to Herod. So when they leave Mary and Jesus, they go home by another way so that they won't encounter Herod and they refuse to be accomplices to his plot. Mary and Joseph do get word to flee. That's the story you heard last week if you were here. They flee to Egypt to save their son's life. But that threat to Herod is real and he wants to hold on to his power. It's a gruesome part of our biblical narrative. It reveals just how threatening Jesus is to the established power, to norms about who might be in and who might be out, who is acceptable and touchable and welcome in God's kingdom, because God's kingdom does not follow the rules of Herod's kingdom. In Herod's kingdom, it is about fear, it is about hierarchy, it is about who is at the top and who is at the bottom, who has a certain rank and rule, and if anybody threatens any of that, then they are out, they possibly face death. God's kingdom that Jesus is ushering in brings in totally different rules. It's a king not on a throne, but a king born as a vulnerable baby in a barn. Herod realizes that if this Jesus character really is the Messiah for the whole world, not just for this little area, that he's in big trouble. That the ministry of Jesus encompasses the whole sky. And we know this, right, as the later life and ministry of Jesus as he grows up. Jesus came for Gentiles and Jews. He visits a Samaritan woman at the well, a foreigner, and he sends her out to be the first evangelist. In the earliest church, Paul's ministry expands out to reach all people. 
In Christ there is no Gentile or Jew, slave or free, male or female. But there's something really significant, really beautiful and scandalous and threatening about this good news breaking in at his very birth, that his ministry indeed has more sky than just that over Jerusalem, welcoming foreigners and strangers with love and hospitality right there in the manger. And of course, since the time of his birth, Christianity has indeed expanded across the globe amidst so many diverse expressions of following Jesus from Christians all over the world. There's unity amidst the diversity and the shining light of Christ that guides all of us as Christians. God's kingdom reverses all of Herod's rules. God's kingdom is peace and Herod's is fear. Of course, eventually, Jesus' kingdom will be so threatening to the powers that they do succeed in killing him on a cross. And again, God's rules will win the day when God ultimately destroys the powers of sin and death and raises Jesus up from the dead, bringing life and life abundant to us all, to the whole world under God's wide sky. So what does this mean for us, this story, 2,000 years later here as we enter a new decade in 2020? (coughs) Our theme for worship in this new year and this new decade for January and February is who are you? The beginning of a new calendar year is a time when we often reassess direction. We ask questions yet again about who we are, where we're going in life. We make resolutions, we sign up at the gym yet again, we vow to be better people. So this year, friends, we're going to take a deep journey into the question as a worshiping community, who are you? And we'll discover that who we are is linked to whose we are. So what amazing things could happen if we live into our best, most passionate, loving self, if we follow God with one another in this new year. Now, I believe in the power of resolutions, those that stick anyway. I think it's a good thing to care for our bodies, to prioritize our health so we can be there for our loved ones, so we can be the best disciples that we can be. I think it's good that we examine our habits of caring for the world and try to do better in the ways that we care for God's creation. It's always a good thing to commit to read more. There's nothing wrong with resolutions. I wish you all the best in yours. Um, I hope that mine actually sticks this year. But in the midst of all of that, my hope for me and for all of us is that before we make maybe an arbitrary distinction about our personal habits, that we together as Christians, as followers of this newborn king, as those of us who worship the God of the bright star that's overhead, the God of peace who abolishes once and for all the powers of sin and death, that our number one resolution is to worship God through Jesus Christ and to do that together as a community. We don't know a lot about those wise men, but what we do know is that when they encountered Jesus for the first time, they fell to their knees and they worshiped him. This was their first response. We know that the light of God was so strong that even when they weren't sure exactly what they were following, why they were following it, when it required risk, it required a long journey, it eventually required betraying a powerful king's orders. But they did it. They followed that star anyway. There's a lot of uncertainty and anxiety in our personal lives, 
in our denomination, in our world, as violence escalates with Iraq and in, with Iran and in Iraq, bushfires rage in Australia. But in the midst of all of it, what we can do when it feels like we can't do anything is remember whose we are and to resolve to follow that light of peace instead of fear, light instead of darkness, love instead of power, the way that leads to life instead of the ways that lead to death, to trust in the power and good news of resurrection. And I don't say that glibly, that if we just pray and come in here, all of the rest of the world and its troubles will fade away, or we can distance ourselves from them. But I do believe that if we come together and we pray and discern and we follow God's light, it will help us know who we are and how to be and what to do in the midst of whatever the world is throwing our way. And we do that together in community. Because when we prioritize worshiping God together, even when we don't know why we're doing it or where it's leading, especially when it may require some kind of risk, I guarantee that we'll have a better success rate than 8%. Because with God, we can never, ever, ever fail. The good news is God's light leads us to this table, the place where all of our sins are forgiven, often in spite of ourselves. It's a place where we feast with each other. We feast with everybody under God's wide sky and all of those saints who have gone on before us. We participate here in God's kingdom where peace wins out over fear and violence and nobody will ever go hungry again. This is God's light and star and our good news. May it be so. Amen. Let us pray. God, we give thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. May we be filled up with your bread and your wine, your love and your light, your forgiveness and truth and mercy and grace. And may we share that abundantly with those we encounter. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church podcast. We hope that you have found our podcast helpful and hope to be in ministry not only to you, but with you. For more information about Sandy Springs United Methodist Church, please visit www.ssumc.org. Until next time, may God bless you.